and stand with me for the reading of a few verses. And I'm going to read quickly because I've got um, a number of verses I want to read. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God. And uh, our prayers are with, uh, we've sown about 35 people downstairs into the marrieds class. And so they're, they don't even know what's in store for them in the marrieds class. And so our prayers are with them. They're all going to, no, it's going to be a blessing for them. And we're thankful that that many went down there and uh, sowing into their marriage. Now, John 14, verses 15 through 18. I'm going to go quickly through several of the statements Jesus made about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is the second week in a series on power for the hour. I'm almost hesitant to use that word power. It's been to me so dumbed down in so many quarters and so cheapened by, oh, I don't know, maybe over usage or wrong usage. I'm talking about the genuine power that the Lord Jesus Christ released upon his church on the day of Pentecost, the power that he gave us to overcome and to witness and to minister. And so very, very important that we understand the power of the Holy Spirit and so I'm going to talk today about the purpose for the power. And next week, I'm going to talk about the pathway to the power. But let's talk about the purpose for the power of the Holy Spirit today. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Who's the helper? The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice Jesus said, you as a believer know the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to verse 25, same chapter. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now jump over to chapter 16, verse 7. And we're going to read some verses out of chapter 16 and pray. So let's get to it. Chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus continuing, talking about the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Of sin, because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that incredible helper, that third person of the Trinity. And we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you will open our eyes 
to the necessity of the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, watch out, you might get touched today. I want to tell you, first of all, as I start out, I'm a debtor to the power of the Holy Spirit. As your pastor and as your preacher, your minister, your teacher, I am a debtor to the power of the Holy Spirit. I would not be in ministry if not for the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Many, many hurdles that I've overcome in life, I would never have done it without the power of the Holy Spirit. It was an encounter with the Holy Spirit that totally changed my life. Now, I want you to notice the Holy Spirit's ministry according to Jesus. He named five things just in the verses we read. He said, when the Spirit comes, He'll abide with you. Can you say with me, abide? Abide. One of His ministries is to abide with you. He said, He will teach you personally. John said, you have no need that any man teach you. But the same anointing you have received, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things. And John talked about all believers being taught of God by the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus said he's going to convict you of sin. There's a big difference between condemned about sin and convicted of sin. He said the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. That's one of his ministries. He said he will tell you of things to come. There is Jesus saying the Holy Ghost when he comes there will be a prophetic edge to him where he will literally tell you things that are coming. And then he said he will glorify Jesus in and through our lives. Do you know that when the Holy Ghost came to live inside of you and abide with you, the reason was that Jesus would be glorified through your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to talk about the Holy Ghost until we get a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost because where we're going, we don't need to be going in the flesh We don't need to be going by the wisdom of men, but we need to be going in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. What our world needs is the anointing of the Spirit of God. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke of the enemy. It is the anointing that snaps the chains and fetters off of people's lives. It is the anointing that causes people to get saved. It is the anointing that attracts people to Jesus Christ. It is the anointing that deposits wisdom in our heart. Thank God for the anointing of the presence of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, I have been anointed. Well, what was he talking about? He wasn't talking about somebody pouring oil onto him like we do people in the altar. He was saying that the Holy Spirit had anointed him, had been poured upon him by God. And the good news is that he has been poured out on you and me. And God wants me to tell you, he won't let me get away from this uh, message on the Holy Spirit until we really get it. And I know we've heard these things before, but how many of you have realized we tend to forget what we ought to remember and remember what we ought to forget? And we need to be thinking about this power of the Holy Ghost again. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the supreme importance that Jesus placed on the Holy Spirit's coming to us. Though the disciples were greatly greatly attached to Jesus, had followed him around for three to three and a half years, Jesus said, I'm going to be taken away from you. And I know you love me. And I know that you're attached to me. And I know you don't want to lose me. We know what this meant to the disciples by the way Peter rebuked Jesus when he talked about going to the cross. Don't do it, Lord. Don't talk this way. 
But here's the deal. Jesus said, if I don't go, you're not going to get the comforter. But if I go, I'm going to send you the comforter. And it is to your advantage, not your disadvantage, that I go. It's to your advantage that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And you're going to realize how badly you needed the comforter. You know, Kathy and I have traveled a lot in our life, and every time we're going to travel, we always put together, as all of you do, a suitcase, and you go through that suitcase before you leave, and you look in every little pocket. And Kathy's 10 times better at it than me. Left to myself, I throw a few things in there, shut it, and get where I'm going, and realize I forgot 10 hundred things that she would have remembered. But she remembers everything. And then you get that suitcase ready, and you take it knowing I've got to have what is in this suitcase for the journey that is ahead of me, or I'm going to really regret it. Listen, multiply that to the hundredth power, and you understand Jesus' words when he said, you've got to have the Holy Spirit where you are going. You've got to have the Holy Spirit where I'm sending you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not going to make it. You will not succeed. You will not overcome. You will be defeated by the enemy of your soul. He will take you down. You're going to have to have a power that is supernatural, that is beyond you, greater than you, and that is greater than he who is in the world. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Acts, we find the disciples gathered in an upper room, praying and waiting. For Jesus had said to them, wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard about from me. Wait for the suitcase. Wait for what you're going to need. I'm going to give you power before I send you. Where I guide, I provide. And if I'm going to use you, I'm going to empower you to be used. For John truly baptized with water, Jesus said, but you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you know, when Jesus and all, when they went to John's baptism, he put them totally under the water and they came up totally drenched. Wasn't any sprinkling from John. We don't sprinkle. I put you down and get you to quote the Lord's prayer before you come up. Then I know you're saved. We totally immerse you because the word baptizo right here that is used for baptized means to be dipped, to be totally dunked in that water. And Jesus was saying, literally, you're going to be immersed in, drenched in, saturated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you shall receive. Now listen to the words of Jesus. Here's why I want you to stay until you get it, because you're going to receive power, power. Can everybody say with me, power? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you're going to receive a power. But now listen, the power Jesus talked about was not for the sake of an experience alone. He was not telling us, I'm going to give you power so you can get off on it, so you can get Holy Ghost bumps and thrills and spills. That is not why Jesus gave the Holy Spirit. He did not tell us he's going to send power upon us for the sake of the experience alone. The power Jesus talked about was a means to an end. He did not give us the power of the Holy Ghost to play with like children in a sandbox. 
He gave the power of the Holy Ghost as a means to an end. There is purpose in the power. There's a reason God gave you the Holy Ghost. And I'll be the first to admit, I love experiences with the Holy Ghost. I love the, the love that He pours out in my heart by the Holy Ghost. I love the sense of His peace and the sense of His presence and the sense of His power. And do you know that I read this week in Thessalonians? I don't know why I never caught this before, but I read that Paul said, when Jesus Christ returns in fiery vengeance with the angels of God with Him, that those who have rejected his gospel would be removed from the presence of the Lord forever. And I realized that hell is actually being removed from the presence of the Lord. That's hell being removed from the presence of the Lord. That's what it says. Now, I don't know about the flames, and I'm just throwing that out for free. You can take that home and pray about it. It has nothing to do with my message. But I thought, you know, for me, it would be hell if you took away from me the presence of God forever. There is no presence of God in hell. I think that's one of the things that makes hell, hell. There is no presence of God. And when I read that, it made me tremble even more for those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and take advantage of the mercy of God. And this is why we're going to a building. This is why we want a bigger place. Because we, and right there on the highway, because we want to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone we possibly can. The day or short, Jesus is at the door. He could come at any time. And that's why he wants his people, his remnant, those who really love him to forget about the shackles of denominationalism, forget about the name on a church sign. It is time to get on with the Father's business. And to do it, we've got to be anointed with the Holy Ghost. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. It could happen while I'm preaching. Can you imagine that? And if I suddenly disappear and you're still sitting there, you better pray. <laughs> and you know, you think that I'm kidding about that. I'm really not kidding. I believe when Jesus Christ comes again, there's going to be a lot of people shocked who are still sitting in the pews. Because we, this is not a religious thing that we're about. Jesus said, I'm sending you power because I'm sending you into a devil-infested world with a gospel of salvation. And you're going to be attacked from every front. And that's why you need the anointing and the power, the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit with you. Don't leave home without it. So the Holy Spirit's power fell as a means to an end, to give supernatural power to the testimony of Jesus Christ, so that the preaching of his gospel would be accompanied by conviction, signs, and wonders. Jeff Wickwire is not standing up here alone right now. I'm not ministering this word by myself, but there is another presence here ministering the word of God to your heart, and it's the Holy Ghost of God. Jesus wants his gospel preached with conviction and preached with power and preached with anointing. The power of the Spirit fell to give this handful of early disciples the strength and the boldness they needed to carry a brand new gospel into the jaws of a hostile, Christ-rejecting world. That's why he gave it. That's why you got it. That's why the Holy Ghost is living inside of you. 
Because when you talk about Jesus, it's not just you talking. There is somebody else talking through you. And it's the Holy Ghost of God, the third person of the Trinity. And we need him. Listen to this. On the day the Spirit fell, the church was born. On the day the Spirit fell, the church was born. The 12 disciples were there. Jesus' mother, Mary, was there in the upper room. His half-brothers were there, all of whom had thought he was crazy until the resurrection. Apparently, the resurrection changed their minds. And now those who had called him crazy were also in the upper room waiting for this mighty power that I'm talking to you about today. They were all waiting Many, many people, 120 people, just not a great crowd, but 120 people waiting in an upper room according to the word of Jesus. Don't leave Jerusalem. Do not carry this gospel that I told you to take to the whole world. You wait until I empower you with my spirit. Now understand the significance of why God chose the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of three major festivals the Jews were required to attend annually. And it's so powerful when you read about the festivals, when you read about the feasts. The first one was the Passover feast. We all know what the Passover feast was all about. They were celebrating the deliverance of Israel from Egypt by the blood of lambs. And it was a type and a shadow and a picture of what was coming. When they put the blood over the doorpost of their homes, the death angel passed over and they were delivered. And it was the final straw and it was broken over Pharaoh's back. And when that final judgment came, he let the people go. And they went out of Egypt, not by their own wisdom, not by their own might, but by the power of the blood. And so you and I got delivered from our spiritual Egypt, not by might, not by brilliance of our minds, not by our own methodologies, but we got delivered by the power of the Lamb. He carried us from Egypt, and we're about to go to the promised land. Amen. Now, that was the first feast, and they celebrated that every year. The third one, the third feast, was the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, they celebrated God's protection of Israel between Egypt and the Promised Land. He said, not a soul of your sandals, not one, not one of you uh, had your shoes I mean, so they had shoes that I wish I had them today. I'd make millions of dollars because in 40 years, they did not wear out. These were super sandals. These were anointed sandals. They did not wear out. And God kept them in that wilderness, protected them, the cloud by day, the fire by night. They were protected even though they came under judgment because of their own stupidity and stubbornness. God still protected them. And that's why they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. But then you come to the Feast of Pentecost in between those two. The second feast, Pentecost, was the feast of the harvest. Pentecost was celebrated at the very end of the annual harvest of grain from their fields. They were celebrating on the day of Pentecost the final ingathering of harvest from their fields. So Pentecost had everything to do with harvest. They were celebrating the end of harvest, but it was also known as the day of first fruits. Pentecost was known as the day of first fruits. They took the newly harvested grain, they made loaves of bread from this newly harvested grain, 
And they carried these loaves to the altar of God and dedicated them to God and thanked God for the harvest. Now watch this. Pentecost was both an ending and it was a beginning. It was the end of a harvest and the beginning of fresh bread to be offered to God. Pentecost was an ending and it was a beginning. Now when I know that and I look at the day of Pentecost and what happened when the Spirit fell, here's what I see. The day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell was an ending. It was the end of the Old Testament system. It was the end of the types and the shadows and God pointing down the tunnel of time and saying, my Messiah is coming. It was the closing of a chapter, the closing of the Old Testament and Old Testament ways. That's why the veil was rent in half. And God was saying, now when only the priest could walk into the Holy of Holies and experience my presence, now the veil is rent from top to bottom because anybody who calls on the name of Jesus Christ can now enter into the Holy of Holies. I have said to the whole world now, whosoever will, let him come. And we can experience the presence that only the high priest used to be able to experience because of the blood of the Lamb. So it was that on the day of Pentecost, the Old Testament harvest, with all of its types and shadows of new things to come, was passing away. And the New Testament, in all of its glory, was born. The great harvest of 3,000 souls saved on that day was like the fresh bread offering, but of a different kind. It was 3,000 people worshiping God in the beauty of holiness and the spirit of truth. It was a brand new day. Now catch this. The altar, it was commanded by God that the fire could never go out of the altar. The fire had to burn at that altar 24-7 because sacrifices were consumed by fire. And so what was God saying on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell and you had a brand new harvest, the first harvest, the new harvest of the New Testament, 3,000 souls? There's a reason the Holy Ghost fell like fire over every one of their heads. God was saying, I now receive a different kind of offering. It is the sacrifice of praise, and I am receiving it by fire, not natural fire, but by the Holy Ghost fire. I'm receiving this offering. So when we offer to God a sacrifice of praise, that's why he said it is that the fire of the Holy Ghost is upon you because now that's the New Testament kind of offering. It is not natural grain in a loaf of bread being burned up by a natural fire but you are the new grain, the new one converts to Christ, and I am receiving it with spiritual fire. Glory to God. So the Lord received that sacrifice of praise. And since then, now every time we come together, we worship God, and it's a sweet fragrance to the Lord because it is anointed by His Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit fell on the day of harvest. Do you see what God was saying? The Holy Spirit is the beginning of New Testament harvest. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got harvest. You show me a church where nobody's being saved, and I'll show you a church where the Spirit of God is not moving. 
say, well, Pastor Jeff, doesn't, doesn't the evidence of the Holy Ghost, isn't that Holy Ghost bumps and people getting the jerks and, and acting kind of strange? No, the evidence of the moving of the Holy Ghost is people get saved. Because when the Spirit fell, it was on the day of harvest. And God was saying, now you've got what you need to go and preach the gospel and win the world to Christ. This is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of harvest. Now I can jerk a little bit over that. Can you say it with me? So that's why we need the Holy Ghost. It was on this day, the day of Pentecost, that God chose to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. It was the opening chapter of the New Testament, the opening chapter of the New Covenant. And it was sealed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and not just on His church, but moving out and convicting thousands of people that they needed Jesus Christ. Where we are going, I'm believing God to send the Holy Ghost ahead of us. And He's preparing a great harvest for our church to reach out and see people saved over and over again. I mean thousands of people and millions around the world because we are doing it not by might and not by power, but by His Spirit. From this moment on, look at these disciples. Before the Spirit fell, they're behind closed doors, trembling, shaking, afraid, filled with a spirit of fear. But after the Holy Spirit fell, this little band of disciples became an unstoppable soul-winning, devil-stomping, church-building, bold, fearless, supernatural, God-empowered, Christ-glorifying force because of the power of the Holy Spirit. They were transformed. Have you been transformed since the Spirit of God touched you? Did it change your life? The evidence of Jesus Christ being received into a life is a changed life. And if the life hasn't changed, he wasn't received. When you read the book of Acts, you realize it's really a record of the Holy Ghost moving. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. After the Holy Spirit, the disciples became fearless lions for God. Praise God. After the Holy Spirit, they became master theologians, simple fishermen, writing masterful, theological, profound thoughts. After the Holy Spirit, they cast out devils, raised the dead, healed the sick, faced angry crowds, their faces shining like angels, looking straight up into heaven, I see Jesus. After the Holy Spirit, these simple fishermen called from simple lives were referred to by their enemies as those who had turned the world upside down. And from Old Testament prophets like Joel down to Jesus and the disciples, strong emphasis was put on receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get all caught up in semantics with you. I'm not here to be doctrinal today to the point of splitting hairs. I believe the minute you get saved, you didn't do it, but, but the Holy Ghost moved on you. No man says Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. And you can't be born again, but what the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. So the minute that you're saved, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. But I find also in the book of Acts that even after people had received Christ, the apostles went and laid hands on them, and they received a powerful touch from the Holy Spirit of God. I believe you ought to be filled every day. You can't go on five years ago when God touched you. We're not to be living 
by a memory. We're to be living by a present tense reality. Are you living by a present tense reality today in your walk with Jesus Christ? Were you filled yesterday? Are you filled today? Are you going to be filled tomorrow? Don't miss next week because I'm going to talk about the pathway to power, how to be sure you're filled with the Holy Ghost. We've got to get back, folks, to the Holy Spirit. We've got to get back to what God gave His church for power and for sustenance. We've got to get back to learning how to access the well of water that was dug inside of us when we got saved and drink from those waters that spring up into everlasting life. We've got to learn to practice the presence of God. He didn't call us to walk in the flesh. He called us to walk in the Spirit. Having begun in the Spirit, do you now get completed in the flesh? Paul asked, no, you do not. Having begun in the Spirit, you grow in the Spirit and you finish in the Spirit. Glory to God. Read the book of Acts. It's an amazing book, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, you find the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, used by the Holy Spirit. Philip is in a revival, and Philip suddenly hears the Holy Spirit say to him, leave and go for a little walk. I'm going to introduce you to somebody. And he starts walking and he sees a eunuch of high authority going by in a chariot and the Spirit said, join yourself to that chariot. Here's the Spirit of God working. Now I want you to catch this because the same thing he experienced, the same Spirit is in you. The same Spirit is in you. We've got to get sensitive to him. Start watching for him to move. Be cued into him, plugged into him, have our ear to the track, listening to him. He joined himself the chariot, and the eunuch just happened to be reading Isaiah 53, Shazam. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes you were healed. The eunuch said to Philip, can you tell me what this means? And he began to expound to him the things about the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was done, the eunuch said, what prevents me from being baptized right now? They jumped out of the chariot, walked down into the sea, got in. Philip dunked him. He didn't sprinkle him. He dunked him. Down he went. He came up. And as soon as he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God snatched Philip away. And he landed in another city, caught himself just walking through another city. And he kept right on preaching. Can you imagine a baptism like that? Somebody puts you down. As soon as you're brought back up, poof, they're gone. What happened? It was the power of the Holy Ghost. And boy, I'm looking forward to the day that I'm preaching to you like this, and all of a sudden, poop, and I'm somewhere else. And God says, keep on preaching. But you see, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. All you see is the Spirit, once the Spirit of God fell, everything was totally transformed and changed. And it became the moving of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. Who is this Holy Spirit that I'm talking about all the time now? Who is the Holy Spirit? I shared several things about him last week. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to get the tape because you need to hear it. Because, folks, God wants to fill us and empower us in a fresh way. Are you hearing me today? He really does want to. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are defeated in your personal life because you're not being anointed and empowered by the Holy Ghost. When I read the Holy Spirit and read about him in the Bible, I find that he was symbolized by many different symbols. In Acts 2, he was fire that fell on their heads. Jesus described him as a wind, and so does Acts 2. 
It says he came in like a rushing mighty wind. Jesus said, you don't know where the wind is coming from and you don't know where it's going. So is everybody who is born with a, by the Holy Spirit, born again. The Spirit of God comes into a place, sometimes we don't even know why. And he touches people at his own will. And then he leaves and it's like a breeze that blows through. He was symbolized as water. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. And that well is inside of you. And it shouldn't be stopped up. It ought to be flowing. You pat yourself on the stomach here. Can you? Come on, everybody. Say, there's a well in here. A seal. He symbolizes a seal. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise when you believed. He symbolizes oil, how God anointed. And that word anointing refers to oil. Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. How did he do it? By the power of the Holy Ghost. And you have been anointed as well. You are an anointed believer. You are an anointed believer. You're not just a saved sinner. But you have received an anointing from the Holy Spirit. He symbolizes a dove. John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending upon Jesus from heaven like a dove. And he remained on him. John continues, I did not know him when I saw Jesus. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Who does he baptize with the Holy Spirit? Those who believe in him. You have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You have an anointing. And the Spirit of God has names in the Bible. Listen to all the names he's referred to by. Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Promise, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Adoption, the Spirit of Holiness. And He possesses all the attributes of God the Father and God the Son. He is not an impersonal fog or an it that moves into a service, He's a person. He's eternal. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Did you know the devil is not everywhere at once? But the spirit of God is. He's everywhere at once. Whither shall I flee from your presence, David said? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I end up in a whale's belly, behold, you are there. If I wind up in jail, you're still there. I can't run from you. You're omnipresent. When I arrive, you've already been waiting. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He has a will. He has feelings. But finally and ultimately... What I want to leave with us today is he's the power of the church. Without him, we have no power. Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father. 
Don't face a sin-filled, demon-infested, backslidden, God-hating, Christ-rejecting, hell-bent world without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Don't go out one day without him. You say, now, Pastor Jeff, you're sounding kind of Pentecostal to me today. I feel like I'm in a Pentecostal church. Well, you know what I say to that? Pentecost at any cost. You know, I'm as Pentecostal as is the Word of God. And I know that we need the Holy Ghost. I've read so many stories of the great soul winners of the past and their experiences with the Holy Ghost. I pulled just a couple to read a quick synopsis of what happened to these men when they asked God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you, sir, you, ma'am, all of us here today, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to stir up the gift of God that is within us. We need to get a fresh anointing. David said, I have been anointed with fresh oil. Charles Finney was a great revivalist, probably the greatest revivalist of the Western world. He lived in the 1800s. He was a lawyer. And as an attorney, one day he began to study the Word of God. And if you study the Word of God with an open mind and honestly, you will discover the Word of God telling you the truth about Jesus Christ. And as an attorney, sharp as a tack, he studied the Bible and was led to Christ. But one night he was sitting in his living room, a fire was burning, and this was before his great revival work. He says, as I turned and was to take a seat by the fire, I received the mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impressions like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of, and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. I wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say I literally bellowed the unutterable gushings of my heart. From there he went out and began to preach revivals. And he shook the entire northeastern portion of the United States of America. New York, Rochester, Philadelphia, places like that still feel the effect of Finney's revivals. But it was preceded by a touch from the Holy Ghost. Now we come to D.L. Moody, the greatest evangelist. He was the precursor to Billy Graham. He was in the 1800s as well, a former shoe salesman who got touched by God, saved by the Lord, and he began to witness. But he realized there was a lack in his life. He writes, on December 28, 1899, at the funeral of D.L. Moody, Dr. Schofield said, Moody was baptized with the Spirit and knew that he was. It was to him as definite an experience as was his conversion. Moody himself said, quote, The blessing came upon me suddenly like a flash of lightning. For months I had been hungering and thirsting for power in service. I had come to that point that I think I would have died if I had not gotten it. I remember I was w walking the streets of New York. I had no more heart in the business of ministry than if I had not belonged to the world at all. Right there on the street, the fire of God seemed to come, up, come upon me so wonderfully that I asked God to stay his hand. I was filled with a sense of God's goodness, and I felt as though I could take the world 
to my heart. This happened years after I was converted. He goes on to talk about going to the same crowds with the same message, but the response to the gospel was not even comparable after this touch from the Holy Spirit that is available to you and available to me. Billy Graham, who is about to go be with Christ, he's not far away. Ruth has already gone, but Billy Graham shook our generation for the Lord Jesus Christ. But in his early ministry, he knew something was missing, and he met up with a man named Dr. Stephen Olford. And he and Olford began to talk. And one day, the two men I'm reading now went to their knees praying and praising. It was about mid-afternoon in a hotel room on the second day that Billy began pouring out his heart in a prayer of total dedication to the Lord. According to Stephen Olford, quote, all heaven broke loose in that dreary little room. It was like Jacob laying hold of God and crying, Lord, I will not let you go unless you bless me. They came to a time of rest from prayer when Billy Graham exclaimed, My heart is so flooded with the Holy Spirit. They alternately wept and laughed. And Billy began walking back and forth across the room saying, I have it. I'm filled. I'm filled. This is the turning point of my life. This will revolutionize my ministry. And a close colleague of Billy's heard the young preacher after that experience and astonished remarked that Billy's preaching had taken on a certain magnificence of effect, fascinating, impressive, different. Billy Graham, the most famous Baptist in the world, needed the Holy Ghost. Where does that leave us? If Jesus needed the Spirit descending upon him, if Jesus said, don't leave until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we look through church history at the movers and shakers of the world who shook the world with the gospel, one after another after another, received a mighty touch from the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to leave a mark for Christ before I go. Do you? And you know what? I think we've been called together to do it. I really do. I think I'm called, but not without you. And you're called, but not without me. I believe God has called us. And oh, that we would receive a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit of God. And just begin to say, Lord, touch me. If that's your heart, could you stand today? How many of you know that you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? So no, we're not a Pentecostal church. We're not a Baptist church. We're a church. And we're a church that needs the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. So let me pray for you, Father. I bless this congregation of people. I thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us our great need for your Spirit. For apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. So, Lord, we ask you for a fresh touch. We ask you, Lord, to help us to stir up that gift that is within us. We thank you that you've anointed each of us. And, Lord, there's a well that the Spirit dug inside of all of us. 
But Lord, we need that power as we go to I-35 and occupy a much larger building where there will be all kinds of people in all kinds of bondages with all kinds of needs. We need to be a supernatural people. Now, if that's your heart and your prayer today, would you take a moment and would you say, Lord, fill me afresh and anew with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to walk in your spirit every day. Go ahead and just make it a prayer from your own heart as we sing. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Touch me.